Good morning. Good morning. There are a lot of children leaving. So just in case you're wondering, I'm having a service at my house this afternoon, and if you'd like to come and, and give towards my mortgage, I'll take 100000 <laughs> Just totally kidding. But if you did show up and give me money, I won't turn it away. Gonna make sure this thing is on. Okay, so I'm gonna keep doing this because I'm gonna bug you to get this back, the morning groaner. For those of you who don't know the morning groaner, it's basically a bad joke that we tell every Sunday morning. So you ready for my bad joke this morning? What did the right eye say to the left eye? Between me and you, something smells. Huh? A nose, because it's, you get it. Anyway, when I, once when I was a, a younger youth leader, I was probably about 19 years old, I was approached by a young girl in our church who, she was having a, she was in a little bit of a moral dilemma. So I asked her, what's going on? And she said that her family was planning a surprise birthday party for her younger brother that Saturday, which I knew about, our youth leaders were all going. However, she was worried when her brother asked her what she was doing that Saturday. And she told him that she was going out with her friends while the rest of her family went out for supper for pizza. When in actuality, she was just leaving for a little while to come back home to set the house up for the aforementioned surprise birthday party. That was the end of the story. So I said, well, okay, so what's the problem? Why, what's the moral dilemma? Well, she told me that she was upset because she had lied to her brother and therefore sinned against God. Some of you might find that kind of funny because, because we might say in this case, well, lying to your brother, okay, yes, it's a lie, but it's okay because, you know, in a sense, the ends justify the means. The reason you're doing it is, you know, it's a good cause we often call this what's, what's referred to as a teleological ethic, where we say, well, as long as you're not doing super evil things, as long as the end outcome is okay, it's, it's okay, it's fine. But some of you might feel the conviction a little bit in this situation, kind of like she did, because, well, yeah, she lied to her brother. And under no circumstances should we ever tell a lie. It's against God's commands. It's, it's do right in every situation, no matter what. This is often referred to as an ontological ethic. No matter, regardless of the perceived outcome, do good. Do the right thing. Do not lie. Do not sin. Now, I won't tell you how we work through this scenario, um, nor am I going to give you my opinion, although I've told this story at youth before, so they know what I think about it. But it serves as a simple little illustration that the issue of morality, not always the most simplest of answers, now, I mean, I, I guess, I, I, I get it that a surprise birthday party for a little brother is hardly what we would call a world-changing issue or a global cause for concern, uh, but it should get us thinking about these questions, what is right and what is wrong? How do we decide what is right and what is wrong? Who has the final authority on right and wrong? Does that authority ever change? Can right and wrong 
change depending on the situation or circumstances. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, how concerned is God with our morality? In the Bible, the book of Judges, which I'm positive all of you have studied in great detail, recounts a time in Israel when, when the Jewish people were, were dwelling in their land that God had given them, and God had appointed judges as leaders over the nation of Israel, and they were to judge the people in their behavior and their faithfulness to God as well as lead them. Now, the book itself is, it's, it's not a simple read, and most of that has to do with the fact that it records this downward spiral of the nation of Israel into disobedience, horrific acts of following after of the of gods of the nations that surrounded Israel and mimicking their practices, most of them very evil and quite morbid. Just reading the last few chapters of Judges when this downward spiral really comes to a climax, we see Israel committing adultery, assault, gang rape, murder, human dismemberment, injustice, genocide, there's a kidnapping. That's just in the last four chapters. The nation is being torn apart by selfishness and sin. And chances are, if you're disgusted by a certain story that you've read about in the Bible or somebody has told you about, um, it's probably found in the last four chapters of the book of Judges. So this morning we're going to read what are what we'll call the two bookend verses which surround this downward spiral. Um, we'll see later, though, that the book of Judges doesn't leave us without hope because the book of Judges also points to the need and sets the stage for the rise of a godly king to lead Israel, which they don't get right the first time, but ultimately God appoints a king that will rule and reign God's kingdom forever. More on that a little bit later. So why don't you stand with me? I'm going to read the blue and you're going to read the white. And there's only two, two verses this morning, like I said, which are the two bookends of this downward spiral which we talked about just a moment ago. So, verses Judges 17, verse 6 says this In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And Judges 21, 25 says In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I was looking forward to hearing a better reaction from reading that because the two verses are literally the exact same. That's not a typo. But they are bookends to a rather sad part of the Bible. However, there is hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for leading us. Lord, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, as we dig into what it's talking about or what it means, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and that, Lord, you would move in our hearts and move in our lives. God, give us the strength to do what you call us to do. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? To begin this real downward spiral in the book of Judges, this portion, the author writes this line. Two times in between, the author states that at that time there was no king in Israel. And then the author closes the book with, again, this statement is the last verse in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The topic of morality is not a new one. It's been discussed probably forever to varying degrees. If you look for a definition on what morality is, if you type it into Google, because most of us are probably going to go there first, if you type it into Google, this is what you get. Principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. The Oxford, the Oxford Canadian Dictionary says this, Concerned with the principles of right and wrong, the degree of conformity to an idea 
practice, etc., to moral principles. Now, today's world has positioned itself in a, I think, a rather very difficult position when it comes to moral, morality, moral ethics, and how one is to live. It's very difficult to talk about morality now because there seems to be such a wide variety of what people say is right and wrong. There are some topics that I think most people would agree upon. There are many topics I think people mostly agree, some variances here and there. And then there are some topics that I think our society is quite split. And in an age which promotes self-gratification, self-fulfillment, we hit a bit of a roadblock in determining and agreeing upon what is right and what is wrong. Everyone having the opportunity to, as I've heard it said many times, live out their truth or live out your own truth, has not created the utopian society we all dream of. In fact, it's probably driven us further apart. Again, everyone doing right in their own eyes. If everyone gets to decide what is right and what is wrong, even if a majority disagree, it opens the door for everything to be okay, at least to someone. Walking up to someone in the streets and shooting them in cold blood, I think most of us would say, no, that's wrong. But if morality is relative, someone could say it's right, and nobody has a basis to argue. John Calvin, one of the great theologians that we look to many times, said this, the only reason so many quarrels exist in the world and why men inflict so many mutual injuries on each other is that they knowing and willingly trample a justice under their feet while every man rigidly demands that it shall be maintained towards himself. We hit a problem when we as a society have begun to allow everyone for themselves to decide what is right and wrong. And if morality is subjective, eventually we come to a situation or concern where we're going to disagree. And if we are both a self-proclaimed authority on the matter, there's going to be conflict. So what else have we tried? We can't decide, we can't all decide what is right and wrong, so what else have we tried? Well, we've begun to place tolerance as one of the highest ideals someone can, can aspire to. If we're all just a little more tolerant of one another, let's just be tolerant of everyone to live out their own truth. We'll all just get along, right? The only issue with tolerance is that it's never tolerant of intolerance, is it? I am going to be intolerant in certain aspects of my own life, my faith, my family, my church, etc. But if someone says that I can't do that, well, then they're being hypocritical. Maybe your truth says that's okay, but... Tell someone that they should be more tolerant, they can simply respond with, well, I'm just living out my truth. R.C. Sproul said this, if indeed all have the right to believe what they want, the relativist has no basis to object when relativism is condemned. Just like we read in the book of Judges, an entire nation is in a downward spiral of sin, horrific acts of violence and destruction because there was no leader and no one and nothing holding people to living within an objective right and wrong. As we read, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So, we ask the question then, so who makes the rules? Who defines morality? As a Christian, it isn't wrong to think and continually work through our own ethical code of conduct, if you will, but as a Christian, there really is only one place that we should be looking for the final say in what is right and wrong. There's only one place where we should be looking to learn how we should come to our own conclusions about what is right and what is wrong. But when we make, when we make morality out to be subjective, 
and make it whatever we want it to be, then of course everyone else has that exact same freedom. Proverbs 14:12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, but its end is the way to death. From a biblical teaching and from understanding how our society has attempted to set itself up, we must, this must cause us to look elsewhere for our own standards of morality. Not just look to it, but also to abide by that standard no matter, no matter what, no matter how it makes us feel at times, no matter if it makes us a little uncomfortable, no matter whether or not we, within our heart of hearts or our best intentions, we disagree with that standard. As a Christian, the standard for our moral code must be dictated by the standard given to us by God. So there's a few different ways we can go about this, a few different ways we can look at that. One is doing wrong and calling it right. Now there's this line that I've heard people use before and they say, they'll be doing something and they'll say, yeah, but only God can judge me, which is wrong by the way. Only God can judge me, which really just translates to this, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I wanna do it anyway. And in our pursuit of individualism and autonomy, this allows most who want to do evil the opportunity to call it good. And if we have an objective right and wrong, wrong, no one can call evil good. It's just that person doing something wrong. 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, Paul is uh, addressing a concern in the church where, where a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Kind of gross. And he writes this in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, you're boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Yeast is a symbol in, in the Bible for immorality and evil. The Jews were commanded to remove all the yeast from their home before they celebrated the Passover. Uh, now, I'm no baker, or at least you don't want me to bake for you anyway, but I do know this. My wife makes bread once in a while, she makes a whole loaf, and she doesn't have to put in a lot of yeast. She just puts in a little bit. And it doesn't take much for that yeast to get everywhere. It spreads quickly throughout the entire loaf of bread. A little evil, a little immorality, leavens the whole lump. And it infiltrates every part of the loaf of bread. Just like yeast leavens every part of the bread, evil infiltrates, or leavens, if you will, our entire lives when we allow it in. Later in this same book, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church for using the phrase, all things are permissible, which I've heard Christians use sometimes, say, well, doesn't the Bible say all things are permissible? You need to learn how to read your Bible. Are you allowed to do whatever you want? No, it may seem that way since, yes, Jesus has cleansed us from all of our sin. However, is what you're doing beneficial for you? Does it draw you nearer to God or does it push you further away? Does it show love and respect, dignity and recognize the image of God inherent in another person? Does everything you do bring glory to God or at least not drag his name through the mud? Second way we can go about this is doing right in our own eyes. How did we get here? Kind of like the Israelites, how did we get there in our own society? I found a publication from 1995 that really holds weight I think today. Michael McDonald, who is a, uh, I believe he's a former director, but he was a director at the Center for Applied Ethics at the University of British Columbia, and he said this, ethics have a lot to do with our social relationship, and some of these involve relationships of reciprocity and trust between people. When we are talking about ethics, we, are just, we aren't just talking about clear-cut rules, we are talking about how much people trust each other. 
And what I see is a lot of suspicion about relationships where once there was trust. This is coming from 1995. I think it holds a lot of weight still. The article goes on to talk about how when there is a strong lack of trust of other people, it causes people to turn inward and increasingly focus on their own self-interests, thus leading them to do whatever they need to do to get ahead or to take care of themselves, no matter what, even if it is unethical. When we truly believe that no one has our backs, if we really think that we're always on our own, we'll intentionally turn our backs on others to get what we want, including immoral, unethical, or even evil deeds in order to care for yourself. Now, we live in a society that is extremely self-serving. It's all about you, it's all about me, it's all about yourself. Notice in Judges that the people were all doing what was right in their own eyes. It doesn't say they were doing evil or intentionally trying to do evil. It just says they were trying to do right in their own eyes. Isn't it strange that when everyone is attempting to do right for themselves, it ends up being a, a whole lot of catastrophic evil, evil that we look back on with disgust? And even no matter within our heart of hearts, we, uh, we're trying to do the right thing. Do you know what the Bible says about our hearts? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Put that on a plaque and hang it in your living room. See how many compliments you get. <laughs> in our heart of hearts and our best intentions, we, we may be trying to do what is right. But the heart is going to do what the heart wants to do, and if the heart is deceitful, then we're going to do deceitful things. Maybe even confuse ourselves into thinking that what we're doing is right when we're not. And it may not line up with the standard of morality that God has given to us. So the only alternative is, well, to do right according to God. But this comes with a cost, doesn't it? Because it can often go against exactly how we feel. Sometimes I, if I were to be honest, I don't always feel like doing the right thing. I think if we were honest as well, you would have to agree. But since God is holy and utterly good by nature, even his harshest commands are worth your obedience. Or to say it another way, if God is as good as he says he is, every single command is good for you, even if it isn't, doesn't feel good to you. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Later on in verse 20, it says, Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord. Ouch. But those of blameless ways are his delight. God seems to honor those who walk in his ways, even when we don't feel like it. In fact, God takes delight in those who are blameless before him. Our morality ultimately comes down to whether or not we want to submit to our own constructed moral ethic or whether we are going to submit to God's moral ethics or morality for us. It comes down to, we'll use the word king, that we choose to follow, whose authority we allow to rule in every area of our lives. Remember how we said earlier that the book of Judges isn't without hope? as it pointed us to a good and godly king that would lead his people? Well, it is about following a true king. A key theme to round out the book of Judges, and I believe in our world today, is our need for a godly king. Now, not necessarily a king who sits on the throne in Ottawa or something like that. But it's a call for us to look who we are choosing to follow, who we are declaring to rule over us, 
Israel needed a godly king to lead them in doing what was right in the Lord's eyes rather than a leader who would well, do right in their own eyes. And we too need a leader, a king who does not what is right in his own eyes, but in the Lord's eyes. And they will, and they will lead each of us to do what is right, not in our eyes, not in our eyes, but in the Lord's eyes. We, Israel waited for a king. They eventually got King David, who was often regarded as the greatest king Israel ever had, but David wasn't the end of the story, because even David pointed to an even greater king, whose kingdom was not of this world. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied about this new age, if you will, that this new king would usher in. He said this in Ezekiel 36, he said, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I, that I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your heart of from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God gave us the moral code to follow, his son, Jesus Christ. And though the mission and life of Christ was meant to be, yes, our once and for all sacrifice for sin, we can't just say that only Jesus' death was significant. Otherwise, why did he have to live for 33 years? Jesus' life, his human life, had significance as well, and his life served as a model for how we are to live, to set an example of how someone should conduct their lives in complete submission to God, our true king. He lived for us the fulfillment of the Old Testament law as the highest moral standard for us to follow. Our moral compass comes from a submission to God, a submission to his ways, a submission to what he calls right and what he calls wrong, and by doing so, we demonstrate that he is our Lord, he's our king. We're not without help, as, he re- as, as God says, he will put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways, even if we don't always like it, even if we don't agree in our heart of hearts with what God says, he calls us to submit to his ways, align our lives with his purposes for this world. So we ask this question, are there any moral standards that we are holding on to that the Bible doesn't or that God doesn't? There's this old saying, I remember people saying once in a while, and I don't know if anybody still says it, but they would say, uh, they would ask their kids to clean their room, and they would say something like, well, cleanliness is godliness. Is it, though? I'm not saying not cleanliness is holiness, either. I'm not going the other way. But we can never hold the traditions of man above the commands of God. And Jesus got really upset with the Pharisees for doing this all the time. But then also, are there moral standards that we are holding loosely that the Bible is firm on? I hear people say this once in a while. When they're trying to make a decision, they'll say, well, like, does it make you happy? If it makes you happy, that must be God's will for your life. Never forget that God is, a little more, is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. Never confuse the two. We live in a world where there's a lot of immorality, even if it is people trying to do right. So what about the question, what about showing grace to others? I cringe every time there's a controversial anything happen and and all the protesters come out with their clever signs, no matter what, and, and chanting as if chanting will truly change the minds and the hearts of whoever's listening. Christians are guilty of this at times. Non-Christians, of course, too. Everybody does it. 
But Jesus told us to go and tell the world about him. Not to go and tell the world all the moral ethics of what we think is right and wrong. He said, go tell the world about me. Go make disciples. Jim Thomas said this, may we Bible-believing Christians act less like moral policemen and more like gospel paramedics and never at all like we're the final judge. No matter what you say, you can't make somebody good. Your words can't make someone good. In fact, Jesus said no one is good, only the Father is good. But we can be faithful, and we can teach others to be faithful as well. But we can't make someone good. I'm going to call the band back up. Maybe you're facing a situation right now in your life where it's a bit of a moral dilemma. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a situation in your family. I don't know. But you're facing that big decision and you aren't sure how to handle it. You aren't sure what to do. And you've looked through the data, you've weighed the pros and cons, you've, you've made lists and you've talked to friends and pastors and counselors and whoever else. But I know it, and I know it sounds so simple, so simple, but have you brought it to God? Have you prayed about it? Have you went to God and said, God, lead me in this decision? Asking will I be happy, well, I don't think it's completely wrong, but it should never be the only metric by which we make a decision. I want you to take some time while the musicians play, while we sing another song, to take a minute and reflect on the moral decisions you're in the process of making right now. And even some of the smaller decisions, seemingly smaller decisions we make on a daily basis. And ask the questions, is this where God is leading or where is God leading me in this? Ask the question, does this decision honor God? I know it sounds maybe a little bit cheesy, but what would Jesus do? Seriously, though. Does my decision line up with what the Bible is teaching or teaches? Is this right in my eyes? Or is it right in God's eyes? Doing right, morality from God, we may not always get it right, but we can work toward that end where all our decisions come from a position of submission to God and His purposes for our lives and for this world. So I ask you the question, what's the next decision you need to make?